In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to Strange Planet. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Thanks for sticking me in your ear. We are going to discuss the Mothman, among other things, interdimensionals, all things paranormal. Joy Medea, when he's not investigating or writing about high strangeness, is a screenwriter, a playwright, novelist, actor, director, and escape room designer. He specializes in bringing true stories to the stage, page, and screen. His fact-based screenplay, The Man at the Foot of the Bed, is a two-time official selection and a Beverly Hills Film Festival invitee. He's the co-writer of the rock opera Be the Change with two-time Grammy nominee David Young. He's currently writing a play set to music about Mothman for American Lore Theater in New York City. His novel series, The Stanton Chronicles, currently six books, combines history, mystery, and the paranormal. He's the writer and designer of the Mothman Museum Escape Room and three other escape rooms with paranormal themes in Scotland and North Carolina. Joey applies the skills of story analysis and training in a variety of spiritual systems to be uh, to his uh, paranormal investigations. He's the co-author of Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina and 
Roommates from Beyond, How to Live in a Haunted House, or sorry, How to Live in Haunted in a Haunted Home. His new book, Parallels and Patterns, My Lifelong Quest for Answers, will be published in 2023. Wow, Joey Medea, when do you have time to eat? Usually while I'm working, but that's okay. <laughs> Life is short and there's a lot of questions, as you know. Oh, bad. So uh, tell me about this Mothman escape room. Yeah, so Jeff Wamsley at the Mothman Museum, I've presented at the Mothman Festival. It's coming up in a couple of weeks, two, three weeks. Um, the Mothman escape room, he had the idea to do it. Some space came available above the museum. He knew I designed escape rooms. And the same thing with the musical, which we'll also talk about. You have 13 months from November 1966, right? I'm wearing my t-shirt here. Yeah, there we are. Um, November of 1966, this winged red-eyed being shows up in this tiny little town. 25 churches, one bar, right on the Ohio River on the West Virginia side. And for 13 months, people see this. They see MIBs walking down the street, talking to people. Um, there was a newspaper reporter, Mary Heyer, with the Athens Messenger. Her niece, Connie Carpenter, was almost abducted one day. And there was a note, uh, we can get you anytime you want when she got home that day. You had a UFO flaps. Of course, the, the famous John Keel got involved. Right. The infamous Gray Barker. Uh, this was a very big deal. But we have to always keep in mind that this culminated in December 1967 with the collapse of the Silver Bridge, which killed 46 people and indelibly put its imprint on the town. So anytime you want to tell this story, the um, there's an inclination to make it fun and kind of crazy. You know, the MIB films, all this kind of stuff, turn Mothman into, into a monster. But when you talk to the people, when you think about the bridge tragedy, when you think what this tiny little town of six or seven thousand people went through, you have to go in with with a lot of respect and you have to go in with a lot of humility. But that said. It's high tech. It's interesting. It's immersive. We use a ton of the history. Um, a lot of the, I don't want to give anything away for people, but if you've read John Keel's The Mothman Prophecies, if you know the lore and the evidence that came through, it's all represented in this escape room. So you have an hour to find a missing paranormal investigator played by myself, plot spoiler, um, who's gone missing in the infamous TNT area amongst the hundred igloos in a particular igloo that has quite a lore to it. And um, so you're going to learn a lot. It's very authentic. Um, you, Jeff drew, grew up in that town. He knew people and knows families who died. He spoke to Linda Scarborough and some of the original witnesses, wrote two books about it. So when you're working with someone who's lived it, it's their town, it's their life. Um, you come in with a lot of respect and humility, and I think people are going to love it. Hopefully it's going to open up this fall or winter. They're trying to do everything exactly right. So that's what's happening there. Fantastic. But for you, it's also uh, you and uh, Tony. It's personal. Um, tell me about your, how you first got involved in, in, in Mothman and the paranormal. Right. So in 2009, we're flipping through the TV, the cable channels, and we see this film, The Mothman Prophecies. Oh, 
what is this? Prophecies, that's interesting. Mothman, what is this? We watched the Richard Gere, Laura Linney movie, which, you know, a lot of liberties are taken. I write screenplays. I'm writing a screenplay right now adapted from a novel. Um, you take liberties. It's just the nature of storytelling. There's no disrespect. And I think Mark Pellington did a pretty terrific job. John Keel was really, really happy with, with the screenplay, how the film turned out. So a couple of years later, 2009, or in, in 2007, rather, we build a house in West Virginia. And Tanya comes to me, my wife, and she says, well, the Mothman Museum that tells this incredible story is only like two and a half hours away. And I go, babe, I'm not into it. Like the moth, it's so weird. Leave me alone. So she persists and she sells it as just a weekend getaway. Let's get away from the kids. Let's go to this charming little town on the Ohio River. So we go. I immediately fall in love with the town. This was uh, the ninth anniversary was just a week ago. So it was around the 18th, 19th, 20th. And we love the town. It's out of time. Probably a lot of your listeners have been there. Um it's amazing. So I immediately love it. It's got a proper main street. We're in a hotel, the low hotel. It's purported to be haunted. We are not involved with any of this. We've had some experiences with ghosts and some places we've lived. Uh, Tanya seems very sensitive, but we, we are very hands off with all of this. Well, we go down to visit the igloos and we have this map that this gentleman gave us. He's since deceased, Bob Landrum. And uh, he says, here's where you want to go. And this is the igloo you want to go to. Well, we drive down and it's a beautiful day. Blue skies, hardly as something out of a picture puzzle, just that kind of blue sky. And we go down to the TNT area and we park and we cross this guardrail. And we very much cross into a liminal zone, what John Keel defined as a zone of fear. And I'm immediately uncomfortable, which makes no sense. So there's this huge cognitive dissidents. I grew up in the Pine Barrens. I used to ride my bike back there, home of the Jersey Devil. Like I'm an explorer. I've been out in the desert and the mountains. And it's this beautiful day. It's a beautiful lake, but it's silent. And there's a heaviness as if we're being watched. So we, we make our way down to the igloos. I snap some photos. I can't even go inside the igloo. I've since been in them dozens of times. Snap some digital pictures. We leave some sage because Bob Landrum had told us that there was a rumor that it was an Indian burial ground. Uh, there's so many rumors and uh, to leave an offering to be respectful. We're there all of maybe 10 or 15 minutes. It's about two 30 in the afternoon. We get in the car and we make the drive back to town. We're driving down route 62 for those familiar. And suddenly Tanya and I turn to each other and we both say, did you see that? Now, if one or the other of us had made the decision not to say that, we wouldn't be having this conversation and this the last 12 years of our life would be very different. But we did say 13, 13 years now. We saw an interdimensional being. It was black. Tanya says it was more deer-like. I describe it as a man in a neoprene wetsuit being shot out of a cannon. And it goes across the road in front of us, uh, several hundred feet, probably about 10 feet off the road. And it goes and sort of blinks out of existence in a cornfield. So the first weird part is that we both go, did you see this? So it obviously wasn't some kind of artifact. Second, and I don't know why, Richard, but something I say to Tanya, don't tell me what you saw. 
Let's go to town. Let's sit down and let's each draw it. That I don't feel came from me because that's a hell of a thing to say when you've had a weird liminal experience. But we do. We sit down in a restaurant. Prior to that, though, we go to talk to Bob at his little shop, The Point, little tchotchke shop, and it's closed. Well, this is very odd. It should only be maybe about 3.30 or so. We knock on the door. Bob comes, he unlocks the door. Meanwhile, I glance down at my phone and it's like almost five o'clock. We have like two and a half hours we can't account for. Two to two and a half hours that we can't account for. This is very odd. We tell Bob briefly we saw something, but we're not giving details because we've made this commitment. He says, okay, here's a card of some paranormal investigators. You might want to tell them about it. It's all foreign to us. We sit down and we draw it and it's in the book, um, Watch Out for the Hallway. We draw almost the exact same thing. So if you want to talk about the mise-en-scene or the frame, there's a cornfield, there's this black elongated figure, there's another cornfield, there's the road, and we're both looking out of the windshield. So that was uncanny. The beautiful thing about Tanya and I working together is our brains work very differently. So Rosemary Ellen Guiley, the the imminent um, researcher and author, she gets wind of this, some other paranormal investigators. We go back down that November, this was August, and we realize a couple of things. I could swear there was a gas station on Route 62. No gas station. The time was just, you know, there was this time distortion, this distance distortion. And again, we're newbies. So when people are talking about missing time and time distortion and portals, we have no idea. We just know we saw this thing. Well, Rosemary took us under her wing and over time we're doing this. And 10 years later, we're doing a radio show, not unlike yours. And from the voice in the darkness comes in and says, have you ever gotten regressed? Hmm. We've never thought of it. This was 10 10 years on, so it was two years ago. And um, said, no, we've never thought of that, which is really bizarre. Well, as synchronicity would have it, as fate would have it, Tanya is now a certified hypnotist, and she's getting a certification in regression and soul contact from Edgar Casey Institute. So we're well-versed in this. So we feel comfortable because I've read the transcripts of the classic cases. I'm like, are they leading the witness? Are they implanting ideas? You know, what's going on here? I don't know. So Tanya and I each get separately regressed. And when we compare notes, what we find is that we had a joint but two very different, um, you could call them abductions. We refer to ourselves as experiences because abduction conjures probing and trauma. Right. There wasn't that. Um, I was psychologically tested. Tanya was scanned with a box on a table in a more kind of, but the car sort of spun around like it was a centrifuge and then it got transparent like wonder woman's plane and i'm looking at the transmission and i underwent this very odd psychological test um it was like a a a farm but it was pristine and i'm an actor and a director and i've been on movie sets and plenty of play sets and i'm going this is fake like the silo is spotless where are the animals this looks like astroturf 
And these beings, I can only see their hands. And I've spoken to other people where they can only see parts of a long, four long bulbous fingers. Uh, and it looked like um, when we were kids, we used to put black olives on the end of our fingers. And that's what it looked like. This is what I see. And they're saying, just go with it. Just go with it. And then they show me this Sonny's garage, um, which is, I think, where the gas station thing came in in my memory. And I'm just not going for it. And they get frustrated and they say, it's not a good candidate. He's not a good candidate. And they release me. And then Tanya had her own experience. So was there any overlap between when you're recounting in your regression? Did she see the car turn, you know, transparent and she saw yeah. how we got there. But once we got there, we were separated. We were taken to different places. My theory is um, Tanya uh, is a very gifted psychic medium. Um, past lives she remembers. I think she's been, we've come to the conclusion, she's been abducted numerous times. She may have been part, and this is the first time I'm saying this publicly, we're still doing the research, um, may have been part of some kind of uh, military testing when she was a child. That may be part of all this. So I really think that Tanya was the target. But the interesting thing, Richard, and I think this is what, rather than just another story about these experiences, we, that zone of fear, there was actually a being there. It looked somewhere between a goat, a deer, and a gray alien with the eyes. And that's how people, I had a sketch artist, I sent him the, uh, the transcript and, and he said, do you mind if I draw this thing? And I said, not at all. Um, it notice that we sensed it then i think phase two was well let's see if they could see me. and that was the appearance over the road and then in tanya's regression this thing was sitting on top of the low hotel when we got back to town so it was following up and i just find that amazing i've since talked to people like wes roberts and other experiencers who have undergone this psychological testing and you don't hear about that as much as you hear about um the probes and the hybridization and the extraction of fluids right. and all that right yeah so do you think you were led there you were meant to see the mothman prophecies on a particular night that that there was this chain of seeming synchronicities that were all kind of laid out for you, leading you to that moment? No one's, no one's ever asked that quite in that way in the past 13 years. And I do, looking back on it, because it's been interesting. There have been a lot of television shows and producers from around the world who have called Tanya and I to talk about this. So we talk about the first act, we talk about the second act, and we get to the third act. And they say, so did your life fall apart? You know, what happened in your home? And we say, we have met amazing people. We were mentored by, admittedly, the Mick Jagger of the paranormal field, Rosemary Ellen Guiley. I mean, everybody loved Rosemary, and she became a friend. She became our publisher. She stayed at our house. We have met a plethora of people. I mean, I just wrote a Mothman musical. I designed the Mothman escape room. So I believe that, yes, we were we were meant to do this work. We were meant to take this journey. And and I put it in the musical. I don't I can't really do any spoilers. Right. I'm under contract. I should be quiet. But at one point, a character based on Roseberry says Point Pleasant has a way of bringing people there that it needs to tell its story. 
And that's probably the most personal thing to me in that musical. I believe that. All right, we're gonna step away. We'll come right back. Joey Medea stays with us, Mothman and other things right here on Strange Planet. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. opposed. Third, it is accepted as self-evident. self-evident. You're listening to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. We are back with Joy Medea, author, co-author of Watch Out for the Hallway, our two-year investigation of the most haunted library in North Carolina and Roommates from Beyond, How to Live in a Haunted Home, co-authored by his lovely bride, Tanya. Um, you were mentioning Rosemary Ellen Guiley. And I got to know Rosemary quite well over the years. Uh, in fact, she and, uh, uh, and Joe met at the Mothman Festival, which yeah. is quite fitting, you know, that they were brought together uh, that way. Um, was there not, I'm trying to remember, because you and I have talked before, you and Tanya and I have talked before, was there not an after-death communication with Rosemary? There was for a good long time. There were several of them. Um, actually, it, it the first occurrence predeceased her. So I was sitting in my office uh, downstairs. I had another office and as our studio and I was sitting there and I was working on my computer. And and, you know, you asked how I have time to do all I do. I'm blessed with a lot of um, concentration and a good work ethic and I can block things out. And I'm being compelled to look up from the screen and I don't want to, but something's making me look up. I look up and directly across. And if people watch old episodes of our show, uh, they'll see the bookshelves and you can clearly see a bunch of Roseberry's books and a picture that's um, it's behind me there. You can see it next to the sort of white picture, Richard. Um, and that's oh, yeah. Roseberry. Yeah. And she had autographed that photo. And I love that photo. And, and Joe since told us that was her favorite photo that she ever took. And then she was suddenly standing there for a split second in my office. And she just kind of smiled and she nodded. And I've spoken to Joe about this so I can share it. They were keeping things. Rosemary was, was a very public person. And when you're sick, a lot of people choose to keep that quiet and downplay it. Um, and they had. So even from us, we didn't know the fullest step. We knew that we went to a big coast to coast event and she was supposed to be there and she had to cancel and, and there were different things that were going on. So um, I said to Tanya, something's something's wrong. Rosemary just appeared in my office. So we called Joe and he said she's in hospice and she only has a couple days left. And so that was a confirmation. And then Tanya got written communications from her. It was within, it maybe was the day that she died. Um, Tanya was driving in the car with our daughter. Rosemary came by, but other people were hearing things too. We went on an investigation and I pulled out the spirit box. I was with another investigator and I said, let's see if we can contact Rosemary because she had um, she had been talking to other people that we had talked to. And I said, hi, Rosemary, it's Joey, and I'm here with Kevin, and do you have a message for us? And I heard deep inside my head, you're going to have to work for it. I didn't say anything to Kevin at the time. A couple of days later, we were at a psychic fair, and he got a reading. And he came out and he said, 
Rosemary kind of came through with this strange message. She said to me, you're going to have to work for it. <laughs> and I said, well, son of a gun, that's a pretty good confirmation. We, we've spoken to other people that, you know, a lot of people trust like Josie Varga, uh, other people who, who had communications with her. And that lasted for about a year and a half. Um, Tanya and I were applying for a big grant and Rosemary helped Tanya with the outline. Tanya is a very, very intelligent person. But when she brought me that outline, it wasn't her work. So if I was a college professor, I would almost accuse her of plagiarism. You know what I mean? I said, babe, this is so not your voice. And she said, well, Rosemary dictated it to me. And then we went through the whole process. It was, it was for a very big grant. And so it was a 25,000 word essay. That's like a third of a book. Right. So it's a huge commitment. I'm responsible for the opening and the closing. The whole middle is case histories. I'm very proud of the work I did on the opening and closing. So Tanya says, I just got a message from Rosemary and you need to change the ending. So as a writer and as a, you know, a fairly accomplished person, I went, I love you, Rosemary, but son of a gun, this is not good. <laughs> so Tanya and I get into it a little. And she goes, it's Rosemary. And she's coming from across the veil to tell us that we have to change the ending. And so I really thought about it for a couple of days. And I took her advice. It was very detailed advice. And I went, son of a gun, this is better. This is just better. And then she began to say, I'm on a mission, so I can't talk to you. I, Because she had plans to co-write books with people. She had all these things. And uh, she needed special permission to talk to Joe. Um, she did come through Valentine's Day um, two years ago. And she told Tanya, I want Joey to get a dozen roses for Joe. And they have to look like this. And this is how they need to be. And there were all these details. And then just the card needs to say, love, Rosemary. So I call a florist where Joe lives. And I, I was just honest. I was compelled to be honest. I said, look, here's the situation. You have to help me out. So the girls are practically crying on the phone. They're like, we're going to make this amazing. And Rosemary said to Tanya, Joe will know what these mean. So I was like, okay, I guess it's not a Valentine's Day thing. So Joe calls me um, Valentine's night. And he says, thank you so much for the flowers. Thank Tanya too. And I said, Joe, they're not from us. I said, we got this message from Rosemary and she knew that you would know what they mean. And he said, yeah, I do. He said, they were on the table when we got married. Exactly like that. Wow. Um, yeah. So people who are searching for evidence, that's pretty compelling. And then Rosemary being Rosemary, she was very hard on Tanya. She made her study really hard. You're not you're not concentrating hard enough. You're not doing your practice. But then she said, I'm up here with Keel and we're finding out all this cool stuff about Bigfoot. So, that was the last book she wrote. Um, yeah, exactly. Planet Bigfoot. And the past year, it's gone radio silent. Joe doesn't feel her presence anymore. The five or six of us um, who she mentored and was close with, who she was coming to, no one's heard from her. And I think this simply just means that she's moved on to a further plane where earthly matters are no longer of. Right, right. You know, yeah. You did some investigations with Rosemary. Yeah. Yeah, can you share some of your favorite? Yeah, so 10 years before Tanya and I went out on our own, or, or, or hold on, let me get this right. Um, 
six, six, seven years, six, seven years. Um, really, the most compelling was um, in the TNT area in Point Pleasant. Um, we, uh, she and Tanya saw a shadow bee, which kind of frightened them both a little bit. Um, so that was interesting to see someone so seasoned to, to have a little bit of fear to know, okay, this is serious, this presence. We had some very compelling uh, Ouija sessions in the low hotel where Tanya's grandmother and some other people came through and Rosemary came to the holler, which we talk about extensively in both our books, our little hollow where we had three acres in West Virginia, Rosemary came and stayed quite a bit. And I think the most memorable thing, Rosemary being Rosemary is um, she saw orbs and all kinds of things confirmed a lot, but um, we were having some trouble. We had a uh, Lakota, came and built a sweat lodge on our property. It was a beautiful opportunity that we had and we would do sweat lodge. The sweat lodge was there, but the activity in the house was crazy. We, we had little people and fairies and sprites and all kinds of things. The sycamores started growing up where sycamores shouldn't be. All this paranormal stuff was happening, but everything was unsettled. Things were going missing. We all kind of felt ill at ease. We said to Rosemary, like, we have no idea what's going on. She said, we know exactly, I know exactly what's going on. She says, you know, and you know, Rosemary. So she says, I know exactly what's going on. She goes, were the Lakota ever here in West Virginia? I said, no. And she said, but the Shawnee were and the Mingo and the Delaware and so on and so forth. I said, yes. She said, what are you doing night after night in the sweat lodge? I said, we're making offerings and singing songs to the Lakota. She says, well, you think maybe you should acknowledge some people who are actually here in the sacred space? And uh, we said, yes. And so we did that and, and all of the, all, all of the heavy went away. So, so that, that was, uh, that was very memorable. And of course, when we first met her and she identified a portal um, in Point Pleasant where she thinks Mothman and these other interdimensional beings came through, I should tell the audience we're a hundred percent certain it was not Mothman, what Tanya and I saw. Right. Right. But Point Pleasant being that, you know, is it the confluence of the big Kanawha? And uh, the Ohio River, is it the electrical, you know, the power plants? Probably yes. And geographic makeup and history and other things. So those those are really the most memorable ones with Rosemary. All right. Another uh, timeout beckons back with more of my conversation with Joey Medea. Don't go away. Truth will set you free, 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 free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. All right, Joey Medea, I want to talk a little bit about um, you've done, you know, a lot of different um, programs, 34 weekly episodes that aired uh, that are now archived on uh, Facebook at Sky Door Network, uh, Into the Outer Realms. Um, uh, what's what's going on now in terms of uh, broadcasts? Yeah, so um, about 15 minutes before I came on with you, I just um, ended an interview with our 127th episode of Into the Outer Realms, um, which has grown and changed and evolved. Tanya left the show after our 100th episode to pursue other things. Um, so I do a lot of guest panels and all, but I had less, um, Lester Velez on tonight from Opus, the organization um, 
for paranormal research yeah. and support. The alien abduction response team. Yeah, right on. So, um, so I'm interviewing a lot of people. I'm gathering a lot of data. I'm really on a mission um, with this experiencer, abductee, contactee, trying to keep up with the government's, um, you know, what's ever going on with the shell game with the three card Monty of, of disclosure. It's, you know, you got to keep very active with it, the names and the players and, and all are always changing. So we're doing that. And I launched a new program. There's a guy named Craig Ansel, who I think a lot of Craig uh, has a program called three beards podcast. And Craig and I have, uh, have uh, teamed up to do something called Sinister Mysteries. So we did Voynich manuscripts a couple of weeks ago. We did MK Ultra and the government programs in, in drug and mind control testing. Next week, we're going to do Nazi occult. So I'm trying to bring things out of the shadows. And, and you know, um, you have conspiracies on living and all. You, you've deep dove into these things. There are enough of us talking about them now. FOIA has helped somewhat. They're a little more, not ubiquitous, but they're out there. So it's easier to talk about them with people going, you're a kook, you're a conspiracy theorist. I have a real, when I talk about MKUltra and I toured Oklahoma with a project recently and I presented on MKUltra to like ex-military people, they were fascinated. People don't know what MKUltra really was and they really should. But um, I define conspiracy theory as just, it's a group of people doing something that's possibly a little nefarious and we have some ideas about it. There's nothing harmful. I'm a language guy. Conspiracy is pretty innocuous. There's a bunch of people getting together to plan stuff. It happens all the time. Or just to and breathe together, to literally. I mean, that's the, the yeah. Latin, right? To breathe together. Right, conspire, aspire, respiration. Right, exactly. Um, and a theory. We're not all saying this is the fact, it's it, but we have so much good evidence now. So many people are doing the tedious work of Freedom of Information Act, getting those piles of redacted papers that they wait months for and spend their money on. Um, so, so that's what's going on with Into the Outer Realms. The tagline is uh, Into the Outer Realms, where the paranormal and the supernatural become the normal and the natural. And that's my mission. If enough of us are talking about this and we're talking about it, responsibly. And I, I found this out in Oklahoma, Richard. If you do your work, if you come with a broad, not I read this on Wikipedia and I want to tell you about it, or I went to a chat room and now I'm, I'm, I'm a devotee, but you, I'm doing Nazi occult and I posted a picture on Facebook of about eight or 10 books that I have. You have to do the work. You have to do the work. But when you do the work and you say to people, I'm not evangelical. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I don't want to change your mind. I simply want to present you with some damn interesting data facts. Do what you want with them. They will come along on that journey. They will say, can you send me your notes? Can I email you? Can we have a discussion? I mean, things opened up about, you know, the shots and the nature of COVID and government trust. Um, the Q&A was almost as long as the presentation. And that gave me so much hope that if we keep doing what we're doing, we're, we're making a difference. And, and in a way of giving people comfort, making them feel less crazy. And so that's where Into the Outer Realms is going right now. And how do we listen? 
Uh, you can listen on Thursday nights. If you want to watch me and the guests, you can watch on my YouTube channel, uh, Joey Medea, or on my the Facebook page, Into the Outer Realms, or my Facebook page, Joey Medea. A lot of people just like to go to my personal page. You can hear it on Ert Radio on Wednesday nights at 10 audio only and Patriot 1776 radio on Friday nights at eight. So it's getting out there and uh, people seem to like it. Fantastic. <laughs> Just getting back to the conspiracy for a moment. And yeah. I w- I've always maintained that a good homicide detective, for example, is a conspiracy theorist because he sees a murder and he has to figure out, okay, well, you know, who did it? Was someone else involved? As soon as you say was someone else involved, that's a conspiracy, right? When you have two, yeah. two or more people. So a homicide detective, by definition, is a conspiracy theorist. He's, th- he's saying, you know, who did it? Who is he working with? What was their motivation? Same with a good journalist, I think, should be a conspiracy theorist. Yeah. Right? Because we, we have, you know, corporations are conspiring all the time. We know this. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, they have um, price fixing. And, and um, uh, there was a great scandal with uh, Major League Baseball years ago. Um, that involved basically uh, conspiracy. Um, so yeah, I, I, like you, I, I I think the word is pretty innocuous, and 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 again, it's just being used, uh, wielded like a bludgeon, unfortunately, to to uh, prevent us from going down certain paths. But that's all changing. That's all changing. It it really is, and we need momentum because because there's a lot of clickbaiters out there. There's a lot of amateurs. There's a lot of people who are rushing with the shiny thing, and that plays right in the hands of those who would that not want this information to get out because there are gatekeepers, right? That's the whole redaction. There isn't oh no freedom of information, and Bill Clinton said that you need to know, and we need to come clean, and mea culpa. So here's all the data, folks. There's still a lot of gatekeeping going on. I maintain that this whole changing the name of the UAP task force every year, which they have the past three or four years, and it's going to, if the bill passes, that's, you know, uh, in the Senate or soon will be, they're going to change the name yet again. That makes it hard. So when you do a Freedom of Information Act request, you have to list like 10 different organizations or else they'll go, oh, that doesn't you know, and you know where else we see that, Richard? Um, we see that with uh, government contractors. They're constantly changing their names right, because right. the data trail dies at the moment you change your name. So we have to stay on top of it. Um, so, yes, homicide detectives, journalists and the best paranormal and UFO researchers come from that same milk. We got to uh, apply forensics. We have to take a transdisciplinary approach. We need the data. We need the history. We need to understand the players. We need to analyze the story. And and like I say, what I learned in in Oklahoma in June is people want this information. Sometimes it's like people don't want to be bothered with your crazy nonsense. Their lives are busy. Leave them the heck alone. But a good teacher presenting this stuff in the right way, they want it. I mean, people listen to your shows. People listen to these shows. They, they almost every night they come out, and I'm touched by that. Every Thursday night they come spend an hour to an hour and a half with me, and they have busy lives. So, the the needle is moving. I'm sure of it. The needle's moving in a good way. Absolutely, I think people sense we are at for a, a bunch of different confluence of reasons, but we are now at an inflection point in history, and it's you know that old saying: it's later than you think. So people. They, um, they do. They want to know. They want to know. Uh, speaking of UAPs and UFOs, 
where do you think we are in uh, disclosure right now? Um, we had that horrible performance by the deputy director of Naval Intelligence back in May testifying, Scott Bray, who, who claimed he had no knowledge of UFO incursions over nuclear sites. Um, what did you make of that performance? And, and then sort of where are we at in terms of disclosure? Yeah, so so you watch people. I, I'm an actor and a director, and you know when they're lying and when their eyes move in a certain way. And here's the very interesting thing. Um, so the Senate has this new thing coming out. They've returned UAP. So now it's not unidentified aerial phenomena, but unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. I personally love it. A lot of my colleagues didn't like the move from UFO to UAP. They didn't trust it. But if you think of lightworms and orb anomalies, these are not flying objects. These are aerial phenomena. So I was cool. I gave them the benefit of the doubt on that. Now that they're talking about USOs, that's amazing because there was that there was that footage out of mm, help me out. I don't know if it was Puerto Rico and the custom plane got it, but but it went down into the water and it came back out of the water. This was a couple of years ago. Here's the interesting thing. OK, and I have it right in front of me. They say that this new bill, which would rename now it would become the uh, all domain anomaly resolution office. So I often think of George Carlin and the language game. Like, right, please. Right, right. Although I suppose it's better than the Airborne Object Identification and Management Synchronization Group, which was an abject failure. Didn't last long at all. So listen to these organizations that are now going to have to, like, the messaging is that Congress is fed up with the DOD. So now they want to hear directly from the organizations rather, or the ODNI or whatever, right? Office of the Director of National Intelligence. The Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, Department of Energy, National Reconnaissance Office, Air Force, Space Force, Defense Intelligence Agency, National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. What major lead group for UFOs, UAPs is not on that list? The Navy. Yeah. So I go, what is this new jiggery pokery as, <laughs> as uh, you know, as um, Basil Rathbone says in an old uh, Roger Corbin Ed Edgar Allan Poe film, what is this new jiggery pokery? The, the agency that seems to be the most forthcoming is not part of this new package. So every time they give me reason for hope, they give me a reason to go, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that all the real good solid data is going to reside with the Navy and they're going to be the new gatekeeper? I also see something else interesting. Um, the ODNI, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, uh, has the Sphinx. It's sideways. Clearly the Sphinx. And, you know, if you go and you do a little research and go, oh, what is this Egyptology and what is this all about? You know, same with our space programs with all these odd names and patches and things. Um, you simply find out that they say, well, we're on we're solving enigmas. And so the Sphinx is our is our guiding star. It's our North Star. But if you look at the new Space Force logo, it's a globe. And it's got a star above it. All good. But the head of the Sphinx sits straight on and you can't help but think of Stargate and all of those right, right. kinds of things. So, so you go, they're playing games. They're having fun. When they first announced the Space Force a couple of years ago, you're like, oh, they're ripping off Star Trek. Like they must have the same designer. So, so is it a game to them? Are they hooking into predictive programming and the whole TV Hollywood culture? So... 
you know, there are some people, and I don't want to name names, who I don't trust in the field um, for, I think, solid reasons, but I don't like to call anyone out. But more and more of my colleagues are going, no, I've spoken to this person. They're trustworthy. They are legitimate. I think their heart is in the right place. So I am constantly trying to be a good skeptic and, and move with the messaging is the best way to explain it. Um, but I think momentum is on the side. I mean, Les Valets told me tonight, very smart guy. He said, I think we have treaties. He says the, there was a guy high up in the Israeli government yep. who said we have treaties. There was a minister in Canada um, oh, hell yeah. who, who said it. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I, I, for me, hope doesn't even play into it because it's the government. And my father was a, was exposed to Agent Orange when he was 19 years old as part of the Naval Security Group in a place he wasn't supposed to be in. So I, by nature, don't believe, and, and researching MK Ultra and all, I don't believe that the government has the sheeple's best interests at heart. They've lost touch over the course of hundreds of years. They've lost touch. Um, but I think there's enough of us doing the work that the truth will out. That's my feeling. Tell me about the new book, just a tease. I know it's not coming out until uh, next year. Par uh, Parallels and Patterns, My Lifelong Quest for Answers. Right. So the only way that we can begin to make um, sense of all of this is to crunch massive amounts of data. And when I was in fourth grade, I made my communion. I was raised Roman Catholic. I made my communion. Um, confession, confession. And I went for my first confession. So I said, uh, I confess my sins, talked back to my mom, lost my temper, blah, 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 uh, lied about this or that. I said, while I have you here, or however, a second grader, or third grader would say, I said, um, Adam and Eve, the dinosaurs, like, what can you tell me about this? Because there's something going on. It's just a matter of faith, Joseph. And I thought, BS on that. And so that's my lifelong quest for answers. Um, I'm a bit of a polymath. I'm a bit of a Renaissance man, as you can see from my bio. I pull from, you know, I believe so much in transdisciplinarism. And this book is about that. So I'm going to talk about all the big stuff, sacred spaces, hauntings, uh, UFOs, uh, different kinds of the nature of dark demons. When when I was with you on another program, uh, we had somebody call into the show and say, 95% of these things are evil. And we said, respectively, sir, we think it's the other way around. 95% of these things are probably pretty benevolent. So that's the book. I, I open and close with talking about the trickster factor. And that's the confounder. That's, you know, Chris Carter did a great job with X-Files of talking about the trickster factor here and out there. But what do they want us to know? What do they think we can handle? And when I say they, I mean the higher intelligences. Right. And that's what's confounding. One person's, and I was talking about this with Les uh, tonight on my show, one person's Mary, uh, Mary Mater up in the sky, Jesus's mother, is another person's UFO. A real quick story that, 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 uh, real, real quick. I did a presentation, or Tanya and I did, and a woman stayed behind. She said, multi generationally, my family has done this. I'll go quickly. Um, she says, I was staying at my daughter's house, and my grandson is seven years old, and I was going to stay in his bedroom that night, and he was going to sleep elsewhere. Well, he was finishing his meal when I got there, and he was good. 
go upstairs to his room. And he yells, I'm coming up now, just so you know, I'm coming up. And she goes, wow, that's darn interesting. But she doesn't say anything to him. That night, she's sleeping in his bedroom and she wakes up and there's a gray, a classic gray staring her right in the face. And so the next morning she goes down to breakfast and her grandson's down there having cereal. And she says, um, those, those, do you, what do you talk to upstairs? Um, is it an alien? And he says, oh, grandma, you mean the fairy? Uh-huh. And that exploded everything for me. Yeah. And so that's why the trickster, and I'm going to cover all the major subjects. Um, and yeah, so I'm pretty excited about this book. Fantastic. We look forward to it. We'll have you back on when that comes out. In the meantime, once again, how do we listen to Into the Outer Realms? Right. So Thursday nights, uh, join us live. Very active chat room. I want the audience to participate. Uh, That's Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can watch it on my YouTube, Joey Medea, my Facebook, Joey Medea, and the Into the Outer Realms page. Or you can listen to it on Wednesday nights and Friday nights. Go to our website and, and you'll get that information. Fantastic. Joy, what a wild ride. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Richard. Always a pleasure. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Subscribe at strangeplanetpodcast.com.